0: God, I heard the prayers of your people just now as we're singing this song, saying we need you. We need you, God. And we recognize that there is no one but you. And Jesus, you even tell us, apart from you, we can do nothing. Anything that it is that you call us to do, we're not meant to do it alone, but with you. With you. And your promise is to us, Jesus, in John 15, that when we do it with you, We're connected to you. Our ears are open to you. We're walking with you daily. That your joy may be in us and our joy may be full. It's not an obligation. It's not a religion. It's a walking relationship of love with the Almighty God. Made possible in you, Jesus. So Lord, light us up. Light us up that we might be full of you and your spirit. And Lord, even as we were worshiping, um, I felt like, God, you want to speak to some people in here right now whose minds feel like chaos right now. I think there's somebody in here, maybe there's several people in here who you, your mind is, has been so flooded with anxiety, perhaps, or just feel like chaotic and disordered, that perhaps you begin to lose hope that anything can really change in your mind. But the Word of God says that we've been given the mind of Christ. That when the Spirit of God is the one, that though though, the the Spirit, the slave to sin, brings about death, that His Spirit brings about life and peace to our minds. So Lord, if there's people in here who are just desperate right now for their mind to be set in order, they feel like they've been living in consistent chaos in their thoughts and they don't know how to break out of this pattern, Lord, I pray that you'll meet them right now by the power of your spirit and that you'll bring peace and calm just like when Jesus spoke over that storm on the Sea of Galilee and all the waves and the winds just stopped. God, I pray that you might have that effect on the minds of people in here. God, settle us in you. Show your power this morning and your ability to be able to set things right and then teach us, Lord, Teach us how to take every thought captive, how to make it obedient to Jesus, how to allow you to determine our thinking instead of allowing just the the old patterns and thoughts to, to create chaos in our minds. We know that you are able, Lord. Will you come and do that now as we rest our faith upon the cornerstone of Christ? We love you, we praise you, we thank you that you are alive and well in here. And if you could, just put your hands up as a sign of receiving something. Lord, I do pray a blessing over everybody in this room. That you allow them to see that your face does shine upon them. That you love them. And that you, when you look at them, you, you smile. The countenance of your face changes to smiling when you see them because God, everybody who's given their lives to you by faith and they belong to you. They are your sons and daughters. How can you not smile? And may they experience your joy this morning. May you lift off the heavy burdens that they feel like they need to carry on their own. And may you give them the light, easy burden of Jesus. In your holy name we pray. Amen. 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 Man, we're going to continue worshiping. Continue worshiping. You know, just when we stop singing, it doesn't mean the worshiping stops. It just changes form. Um, thank you, sir. And, uh, and so we, we're going to dig into God's word now. And I'm really, um, I'm excited about what I feel like he has to share with all of us this morning. Because um, it's something that, that is really, I uh, mean, it speaks to my story in a big way. Um, that I didn't realize how much I needed to go back and, and read this again this week. You know, I'm not sure how much of my, this story I've shared with you guys before, but uh, back about the end of college, I decided that I was going to step away from church for a while. Which is a big deal for me. You know, I grew up in church, like since I was as young, like diapers, right, attending church at least once a week, if not twice. So it was a big deal for me to ever think that I wanted to step away from attending church or being a part of a church community. But I'd had a few experiences in college. I wasn't stepping away because of, of professors were leading me astray. And I wasn't stepping away, at least in my story, because I, I didn't know if I believed in Jesus anymore. No, I still fully loved Jesus. But I wasn't so sure about his church. That, that's what I was having a hard time with. I'd had several experiences that left me with a lot of puzzling questions. That I had gone through some things in the local church that had left me feeling hurt, Used, rejected, and wondering why it is that his church doesn't look more like Jesus. And don't get me wrong, right? A lot of my reaction was not from a place of wisdom. I was seeing a lot of life through the disillusionment of my own hurt. I know no one else here knows what that's like, right? But but I was seeing a lot of it through that lens. And and because of that, like I was pretty judgy. <laughs> I judged a lot of Christians, and I thought arrogantly that I could do things a lot better than they could. So in the midst of all that, I decided I was going to step away from church and try to figure it out on my own. Man, guys, we have such a patient, gracious God who, who met me right in the midst of that. And he put certain people in my path who spoke truth to my confusion and my hurt so that I could begin to heal. And he began to show me through all of that, that that if I belong to Christ, I also belong among his people, his church. And yes, it's true that there is no local church that is perfect. You get two people in a church, it's automatically imperfect, right? But God began to show me that he still has a glorious vision for his people. Right, a glorious, beautiful vision that he lays out for us in his word. And those people that God placed in my path began to help me to see that, which allowed me to see his church through a different set of eyes. And, and the scriptures lay out that vision for us. And one of, the, one of the places he does that is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, which is our focus for today. This summer we've been studying through Paul's letter to the Christ followers in the ancient city of Ephesus. And we've looked thus far at, because of what Christ has done, this is what has happened to us individually as followers of God. But now we're moving to a part of his letter where he's saying, because of what Christ has done, this would happen to us collectively. Who are we as his church? Now... I want us to read through this. But the temptation for me oftentimes is to want to read quickly through the passage of Scripture in order to get to the sermon. But I want to slow down this morning. And I actually want us to hear these words carefully. And so I've invited Nicole Williams to come on up. Everybody say hi, Nicole. Yeah. (laughs) And she is going to read this passage through once slowly. And I want us, as she does, to listen to it prayerfully. Meaning that before she reads it the first time, we're going to say, Lord, show me what you want me to see. Help me to hear with your ears. And as she reads it through the first time, I want you to pay attention to see if any just words or phrases or ideas just seem to pop off the page to you. And then she's going to read it through a second time. And we're going to ask again, Lord, give me ears to hear. Whatever's popped off the page to you the first time, God, why did that pop off to me? Because oftentimes that's how the Holy Spirit speaks to us through his word. And if you belong to Christ, guess what? You can hear him. So I want her to, to read it for us now. If you want to join with us, we're on page 947 the Blue Bibles in front of you. Or it's going to be on the screen behind me. Or you can just close your eyes and listen. Whatever helps you focus the best. But it's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to 22. Lord, give us ears to hear your word.
1: Jew and Gentile reconciled through Christ. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit.
0: Amen. Now, if you spaced out while hearing that, because we have short attention spans now as a society, or if you were left confused, that's why we want to read it again. Right, Or if something stood out to you, ask God, say, God, what is it that you're trying to say to me? That's why I want her to read it a second time. It's not based on whether we know this already or not. It's based on are we listening to what God is saying to us in this moment. So go ahead, Nicole, read it one more time for us.
1: Jew and Gentile reconciled through Christ. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit.
0: Amen. Thank you, Nicole. Let's pray before we jump in. God, we thank you, thank you, thank you for your word. We thank you for the foundation of the apostles and the prophets through whom you wrote And inspired your word. And so Lord, I pray that you align us with you. That you unify us in one spirit with one another. And that you encourage and build up your church this morning. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer in whom we trust. And everybody said, Amen. 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 So what is this whole church thing really about? You know, oftentimes when we talk about church, my temptation is just to immediately think about the things that we do. Right? We gather on Sundays. We go to small group. We hang out with each other. We pray. We sing. We, we, we volunteer. We give money. Right? Think about all the stuff that we do. But underneath all the doing, who are we? And who are we becoming? This is really Paul's focus In this passage, because he knows that what we do, how we treat one another, depends on who we see ourselves to be as the people of God. And so, in a moment, we're going to get to understanding well, who are we? And who are we becoming? And what does it mean to be members of this community of Christ together? But first, Paul wants us to remember what it's like to not be part of it. It's especially important for those of us, if you've been in church a long time, and you have a hard time remembering what it was like to not be a part of it, I and mean, you may have to kind of go way back in your memory banks. But overall, Paul wants us to remember that all of us were once on the outside without God. So as we read this just now, like, chances are a lot of us got a little bogged down in some of the confusing words. Gentiles, circumcision, covenant, like a lot of these these kind of heavy uh, words there. But the key word I want us to to zero in on first is just that word remember. It's how he starts verse 11. It's how he starts verse 12. And so before we get to the part about what it means to be a member of God's people, Paul says first, remember what it's like to not be. And and I'll show you why in just a second. But first, before we can really understand this, we need a little context. Because Paul's audience, the Ephesians, like they got a lot of what he was saying. But we need a little backdrop, a little history here. So it's important to know first, ethnically, Paul was a Jewish man. But the believers in Ephesus, there were some Jewish people there, but most of them were, not, were non-Jewish or Gentiles, is what they were called. And it's a quite controversial thing to Jews that there would be a worshiping community made up of predominantly Gentiles anywhere. Why? Well, to get that, we need to rewind about 1,500 years before Paul wrote this. Back when God delivered this group of people called the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and he chose to make what was called a covenant. Everybody say covenant. Covenant with them. Now, what's that? Well, a covenant... Try to put this as simple as I can, is more than a contract or an agreement. But simply put, it, it contains three elements: one, revelation. Two, relationship, three, responsibility. So God came to the Israelites, revelation. He says, This is who I am. This is my plan. And then he began a relationship with them. He says, You're to be my treasured people. You're to be my holy, which means set apart, nation. And then last, his covenant also came with responsibility to obey, in their case, his law. Now stick with me here, all right? Because all this backdrop is crucial if we're going to understand what Paul's saying. So God's law was the responsibility part. But his law was made up of two parts. The moral law and ceremonial law. First, his moral law is where God laid out, he says, these are the righteous standards of living I have for you. So think Ten Commandments. Right? Like, this is morally right, this is morally wrong, and our relationship with God and one another in the world. But second, God gave them what was called the ceremonial law, which gave them the instructions for the, how to maintain purity in the worship life of Israel. So If any of you guys have tried to ever read through the Bible, you know, you you get to Genesis, it's pretty good. get to Exodus about halfway through, and all of a sudden you start getting bogged down by all this like priests and sacrifices and all these things like that. Anybody had that experience? And you're like, what in the world is this? That is where God is beginning to lay out what's called his ceremonial law for the people of God. Priests, festivals, sacrifices, which all sounds very strange to us. Part of the ceremonial law, too, was affirming that every Jewish male had to be circumcised as a part of bearing the mark of the covenant on their body. So, the Israelites, God formed a covenant with them. He revealed who he was forward a relationship with him, and they had the responsibility to uphold his moral and ceremonial law. But let me be clear here. God did not choose the Israelites because they were better than the other nations and the Gentiles. But he chose them because that if they obeyed and lived up to that covenant, like Isaiah 49 talks about, they would become, God's covenant people would become a light to the Gentiles, to the other nations. But if you know the story, that's not exactly where the story went. Because over time, the division between the Israelites and the Gentiles grew only hostile. That instead of being a light to the Gentiles, many Jews assumed their inclusion in the covenant meant the exclusion of all those other people. And they started to look down upon the Gentiles... And Paul even alludes to that there in verse 11, because he knows that often Jews mocked the Gentiles as the uncircumcised, which doesn't sound like much of an insult to us, but it was to them, right? It meant that you were excluded from God's people. And a perfect example of this attitude uh, was found in the temple in Jerusalem built by Herod the Great. This was the temple that was built was a, was a, there when Jesus was alive, when Paul was alive, built by Herod. The temple in Jerusalem was the center, the epicenter of the worship life and the identity of the Jewish people. And the inside of that temple, the inner part, was where God's glory was said to dwell. And it's there that God's people, His covenant people would come and offer sacrifices and worship God. And, and, but let's say that you're a Gentile who wants to come worship this God. And you're coming into that temple. Right? You come into the temple. Let's say these are the main gates of the temple. And this is the actual inter, inner part of the temple back here. You guys are in an area called the court of the Gentiles. This is a wide open, spread out court. There are animals that you can buy for sacrifice everywhere, so it smells a bit where you are, right? But this is wide open, open to you. But as a Gentile, you're going to see the Jewish people coming in, walking by you, and then walking up a set of stairs to an elevated area where they could go in to offer sacrifices. But for you... For you, excuse me for a second. Sorry, camera guys back there. You are going to be met instead with a big old wall at the top of those stairs. Whoop! A big old wall at the top of the stairs. It's going to be about five feet thick stone. This is for you. And written on that wall are going to be, oops, I should have planned this out better, everybody. These words, trespassers will be executed. This is for you, Gentiles. This wall was called the wall of hostility. It was not there in Solomon's temple. But when they built Herod's temple much later, they included this wall. As a way of saying, Gentiles, you don't belong to this covenant community. You don't belong to God. You are outsiders, not insiders. As you stand before the moral law of God, you're sinners, unholy condemned. As you stand for the ceremonial law of God, you're unclean. And as we look at this wall, it is a reminder for us, too, there was a time for all of us when we were outside God's covenant people, weren't we? There was a time when even we, like all of us, we didn't know God. We didn't have a relationship with him. And despite all of our best efforts to be good people on our own, we couldn't live up to his holy standard. And so his law, like this wall, was a barrier between us and God. And the only hope we have is maybe maybe God could do something about that. But we couldn't get in. We were outsiders. And the reason why Paul says to remember this, it's because when we remember what it's like on the outside, once we are part of God's people, we want to remove any dividing walls we can between others and God's covenant people, don't we? And if you've been to church a long time like I have, like, like this might be tough to remember what it's like to be on the outside. And this is why like, I have to lean on some of you to say, remind me, like, like <laughs> remind me how someone might be feeling when they're walking in this church. How might they be seeing things? Because I don't want to put unnecessary walls in front of them. Because when someone new or different from us comes, how can we treat them as we would wish to be treated if we were in their shoes? Right? If they're curious about Jesus, if they want a relationship with God, if they want to know what it means to follow him, man, we should be looking to take every barrier we can away so that they can meet God, right? Because after all, we were outsiders once too. And we do this as his church because that's exactly what Jesus came to do. Because what does Paul say next? After saying, remember, remember, in verse 11 and 12, where does he move on? It begins to make this point and help us to realize that on the cross is where Jesus became our peace. It's where He destroyed the barrier between us and God and united us with His spirit. We were all once on the outside, but verse 13, "but now," I love when Paul says, "but now," or "but God, but now." In Christ Jesus, you were once far away, but have been brought near. Well, how? Through the cross of Jesus. Through the cross of Jesus. That the barrier between us and the holy God was his righteous law. And before his moral law, we stood condemned. But Christ canceled our condemnation when he nailed it to the cross. Nailed it to the cross. Paul said to the, the, the Colossians, he says that when Christ went to that cross, instead of condemning us, he forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away. Everybody say, taking it away. Nailing it to the cross. He paid the price for our sin against God before the ceremonial law, we still stand unclean. But Christ, the great high priest, Paul said, destroyed it. (laughs) Destroyed it when he became the one final spotless sacrifice for us all. Paul knows that it was the blood of animals that got you in to worship God. But now, he says, we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And instead of circumcising our flesh, or bearing the marks in our body, it says that Christ set aside in His flesh the ceremonial law with all of its commands and regulations. And you know why? When Christ died and took His final breath, what happened? The final barrier was removed. Because it was that barrier, that curtain between the holy place and the holy of holies that tore from top to bottom. Not bottom to top, not the work of human beings, but the work of God, top to bottom, so that there would be no barriers between us and God. That's what he's done. So now Christ has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall, Paul said, between us and God, so that now, by faith In Christ alone, we enter the new covenant of God. You guys tracking with me so far? Because by faith, we are able to come to know, get a revelation of who our God is. By faith in Christ, we've become a new relationship with God. Because once we were far off, but now we are near, he says. And we've given access to his one spirit. And by faith in Christ, his spirit empowers us and works in us to follow him, which is our responsibility. But if we follow him not out of obligation, but out of love for him. Because it's not based on anything we've done or we've achieved. It's only by faith in what Christ did that you and I are become full members. With God. And if we're members with God and His new covenant, then we're also united with one another as God's covenant people. Because at the cross, God made peace between us and God, but also us with one another. At the cross, Christ not only brought us to God, but into His covenant people. And after college, man, this is what I needed to see. That if I belong to Jesus, then I also belong among His people, His church. And as members of the God's new covenant people, that means we don't have a right to look down on anybody in here, nor do we have the, the reason to think that we are somehow less worthy than anybody in here. Because who among us in here actually earned the right to be here? No one. No one. Christ did not choose us because of our goodness, our talent, our wealth, or our stunning good looks, right? No, because of his love and his grace. And if we belong to and follow Jesus by faith, man, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, if you wear sports coats or t-shirts, if you're a kid or retired, if you're married or single, lean politically left or politically right, white, brown, black, if you're one with Christ, you are therefore one with us by faith in him. Right? And this is what Paul is celebrating in this passage. And he even as he says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you also have access to his spirit. His spirit. That man, we're a room full of a lot of different kinds of people here, right? And that's good. It's good to be different. But Christ transcends it all in his covenant community. He does. And so, as different people united by faith, in Christ, and one with His Spirit, who are we then becoming? What? Who are we, and who are we becoming? That with Christ as our sole foundation, we become a new kind of community, full of God's Spirit. If Jesus is the whole reason we are who we are, and He's our common bond with one another, then Paul says, Consequently, I don't know why I imagine him as a professor right there, Consequently, <laughs> as a result, we become a new kind of people, a different kind of people in this world. And he throws out three rapid metaphors right here. Talk about mixing metaphors, but he does it. All right, and he says, first, he says, instead of foreigners or aliens, you're fellow citizens of a king. And Jesus has already laid out for us back in Matthew 5. He says, it is a different kind of kingdom. Because in his kingdom, he elevates those who are poor in spirit. Those who mourn, those who are meek, pure in heart, the peacemakers. Those are the ones who are blessed in his kingdom. And that is what his kingdom looks like. And he also says, instead of servants or slaves just hoping to get into God's presence, he says that we are members, too, of his household. What does that mean? It means you're sons and daughters. You're sons and daughters of one father. And if we're family... That means we can become boldly and honestly before our Father, doesn't it? And Paul said, this is the way this family operates. He says, as dearly loved children. The way of this family is we sacrificially love one another. Just because that's exactly how Jesus loved us. And then after talking about us as a part of the kingdom, as members of his family. He then moves on and spends a little more emphasis on this third metaphor. Where he says, instead of God's presence in a physical temple, we have become his temple with Christ as the cornerstone. This last part, Paul wants to engage our imaginations here. Get us thinking and imagining this massive, beautiful, holy temple. The foundation of it, he says, is upon the apostles and the prophets, meaning really God's word, because they are the ones who wrote God's word inspired by his spirit. So that founded upon God's word, but the chief cornerstone that holds it all together is none other than the resurrected Jesus himself. See, a cornerstone was a colossal stone upon which two walls We're joined together to form one building. You see what Paul's doing here? Because he knows that one wall, called the wall of hostility, used to separate Jews from Gentiles, clean from unclean, insiders from outsiders. But now, when we rest our faith on the cornerstone of Christ, the different walls are now fused together as one holy temple in the Lord. Isn't that amazing? That the cornerstone brings the walls together instead of using them to divide. And to be the church that God envisions, Christ and His Word must be our only foundation. That's it. When the world around us gets shaky, man, it's easy to get tempted to start looking away from Christ and looking away from His, His Word to try to find some sense of stability somewhere else. We want to place our faith somewhere else. But when we place our faith in our abilities, or the power of a political leader or a party, or the size of our bank accounts, or family members, man, we are rest, trying to rest on some other foundation. But when we try to rest on multiple foundations, the walls become cracked and weak. But when we build on the one sufficient foundation of Christ, we rise to become the new kind of community where God's spirit is alive and working. Is that not unreal? That's what we get to be a part of together? And do we realize, like, I, this, I, I know this church. Like This is what we want to be, isn't it? And if you take away Christ and his spirit from this community, man, we're nothing more than a nice country club. Right? With some pretty lousy speeches every Sunday. But the world craves to know this world was full of people who are lonely and hurting and discouraged, and they don't know which way to turn. Man, they're wanting to know not, is this a fun place to hang out, but is Christ real? Does he really change lives? And so we, as a community together, man, individually, I don't think we, like us individually are meant to bear the whole weight of that alone. That's something we live out in community together. And when we look at who Christ was, and he was somebody who had regular rhythms of connection and prayer with his Father. Why? Because that was his foundation. And so as the church, we cannot pretend that that just coming in and hearing somebody else talk to us for 30 minutes a week is going to build us on a foundation of Christ. No, we have to have regular rhythms of prayer and connection with God during the week too if we are going to expect to build ourselves on that foundation. And you look at the life of Christ, man, he poured his life into those disciples that he spent time with. Well, man, like as a church, how can we learn to open our lives to one another? Lean into the relationships here. Practice forgiveness. We're not perfect. Practice forgiveness as we have been forgiven and then work for each other's best. Because I'll be honest, man, like when we look out at our society today, A a, a solid, Jesus-loving community might be the greatest witness we have to anybody. Because, like, our community, man, they got a lot of money. It's financially well off, but relationally poor. And if they see, my goodness, there's something different in the way that you guys treat one another, how much greater witness is that of who Jesus is? And we look at who Jesus was, too, and man, he carried the power of God out to those crowds. Whatever God had given them, given him, he trusted that God meant him to use. And so he went and used and prayed for people, and we saw people healed, and he saw the power of God, and he shared the love and the truth of God. Man, yeah, we're meant to do that, too. That's supposed to be a part of our lives together, and that, that has been the biggest challenge to me. Because, frankly, I've been scared to talk to people. It's awkward. But I've been saying, God, will you just open my eyes to the opportunities that are right in front of me? I forgot who told me this. I know who told me. Dave Preciado told me this quote like a couple weeks ago. And I forgot who originally said it. But he said, the church reads the Bible. But the world is reading the church. And do you realize the Spirit of God no longer dwells in a temple building? But we are unified in Christ. So that whether we are gathered like right now, or scattered like this week, that we can take his presence, his love, his power wherever we go. That join together on the one level cornerstone of Christ. We are his new humanity on earth. You see, I hope if you take anything from this, you realize that faith in Jesus was never something that was meant to be lived out by ourselves. We were never meant to be lone rangers, just me and Jesus. Like, we're meant to be in relationship with each other. Because we've not only been redeemed in relationship to God, but we've also been redeemed and therefore brought into a covenant people. And man, so I want to encourage you. If you're somebody, you, you feel like you don't know a whole lot of people here, keep leaning in. Consistency is one of the best ways that we can build relationships here. And I'm not saying that to guilt trip anybody because uh, I'm not seeing you here enough on Sunday. Some people think that I know your attendance record. I don't, okay? But, like, but it's an invitation into community is what it is, not a guilt trip. To lean in, to get to know people, allow people to get to know you, so we can open up our lives together and actually experience the fullness of what it is that Christ has brought us into. That only God can take a bunch of broken materials like us and fuse us together upon the level foundation of Christ in such a way that His glory can shine out of us. Joined together as one level foundation, one level cornerstone of Christ. We are His new humanity on earth. So with that, man, what is God saying to you? Maybe you like, that sounds weird, like weird language to me, God speaking to me. Okay, what has stuck out to you? What is kind of highlighted in your mind from everything that has been sung, said, prayed, read? What stands off the page? Perhaps that is the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now. I'm going to pray now and just give us an opportunity just to reflect on, say, God, before rushing to the next part, what are you saying to me? And what is that next step for me? So, holy God, we thank you that you are holy, yet we can call you Father. That you are our king. That you are the worthy one. And even when we were unworthy, you gave your life for us, Jesus, and made a way. Removing the dividing wall of hostility in order to make us a mighty temple, For the housing, the dwelling of your spirit. And so, Lord, I pray that in this moment, God, that you will bring to people's minds and their hearts what it is that you are asking them to pay attention to. And whether we have a lot of confidence in our ability to hear from you or not, Lord, I pray that you speak to us anyway. And that if we belong to you, that you continue to instruct us, God, as as to what's the next step in following you, Jesus. How can we take the next step in following you and in your love for us? We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.